what we've got here is failure to communicate. Hey, I'm UFC President Dana White, and you're in the ring with Callum McGregor. Go. UFC London in the books. Patty Pimlet, uh, fader pass or sorry, fader back. And, uh, you know, we didn't quite fade him in retrospect in strategy, uh, you know, as far as a parlay with a hedge. Patty Pimlet should have been the top of the parlay. And I think the main event should have been something that we went head to head and maybe threw some props at. Um, or not head to head, but like where you just went on a money line play. Um, but yeah, Patty Pimlet. You know, there was a likelihood we saw that he was going to win. I was even looking at potentially submission as well, too. I was, remember we were saying on the on the podcast, if he's smart, you know, if he's smart, he goes for that submission early and just makes a point, but he still even gets caught. Um, it's a scary guy to bet, but, I mean, that hedge was nice. It was a much nicer hedge um, if it were to go Vargas' way. So, I mean, for us, I think we missed the boat on that. Um Volkov, I, I'm not mad at that. Some guys are like now reversing their thoughts and saying, why did they go with Volkov? Why? What do they see? I mean, Tom Aspinall just proved he is that good. That's the, I, that's what I think, in my opinion. Like, I think Volkov was a, a benchmark to see where he's at, and he's proven that he is in the, the upper echelon. And, uh, you know, obviously going off the, off the, the cliff with the Luana Carolina play of the, the KO, which at points didn't look like it could potentially be bad and, and I think some people understood my play with Molly being a little bit wild Molly showed me some shit um I look at her as a fade usually because she's so wild because I can't bet on that and um wow like you live bet that kind of shit and she looked good boxing looked more improved um the fight IQ come on now she's getting tagged up and, and Carolina is actually starting to make make work on her and she takes her down and I'm like beautiful and I just listened on the Anakin Florian podcast. And she's like, look, my number one thing, she's like, I only party one night. She goes, I'm back to work. She's like, fight IQ. Every fight, I want to prove my fight IQ is what she said. I'm in. I'm in until she gets that, like, hopefully they don't push it too fast. Give me one or two more fights to make, you know, to, to be on the Molly train. <laughs> Anyways, I'll pass that off to you. That's my take on the weekend. Um what were your thoughts on UFC London? What a card! You can sense it from my energy. What a what a what what a weekend of fights! Yeah, man, it was a really really good card. Um, I think we learned a lot, especially me, because I have a bad habit of backing um guys that have already proven it to themselves. And I think it's about time, like I finally admit, like that there's an upper echelon of guys that are coming in. I'm with you. I'm not mad about the Volkov pick. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we all kind of express the fact that the pick was dependent on the fight getting extended, which it didn't, but the hedge out there was pretty easy. You know, uh, Tom Aspinall by finish was plus 300. So for me, although I killed the top ticket, I still made my money back and then some on that. Um, Arnold Allen, man, proved me wrong in leaps and bounds. Oh yeah. The guy threw more punches in that one round than I think he has in his whole UFC career, but nonetheless, you know, um, yeah, people were saying that Hooker looked really slow in that, but, like, I mean, it, after he got hit was when he really looked slow. I mean, he, he got touched, and you just saw that power meter go down, and that was all she wrote. Yeah, um, and the biggest win for me on this weekend, man, and it goes against our head-to-head, was uh, I cashed that first round, Makawan and Mirakami, plus 1,000 by sub. Like, once again, these are these spots where you wish you put more on, because obviously it's, you know, plus 1,000. I'm not 
putting a shit ton of money on it, but it's also the spots you don't win whenever you put a shit ton of money on. So that being said, it's just the way it goes. I felt like I had a good read on that fight. I felt Grundy was going to do exactly what he did where he would try and ground him immediately to get rid of that first round kind of burst that Mark one has. And, um, he kind of dove right into his bread and butter there and that was a wrap. So definitely the best read for me on this card, but overall, man, like this is probably one of the best cards like that we've seen in a while. Like I'm somebody who yeah, goes good, back good and call on that Amir Khani. Um, that, that was, that was a good one, man. I mean, I don't know if anybody could bank on the, the extremely poor fight IQ of Brundy <laughs> in that, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, and I, I felt that even after you were so high on that spot, and I thought maybe it was a little bit of recency bias. You have that vivid bias of, of him getting smashed, and then it's like, well, yeah, but he's also an, an amazing fighter, and he's gonna he can step up. And you got to watch how how much you really weigh in someone's loss. You know, unless someone's lost a lot, you, you can't really count someone out. So, um, and Dan Hooker, I mean, I think the only road for him at this point, um, I mean, everybody's saying what he should do, and it's up to him what he wants to do. He hasn't necessarily been knocked out a lot, but he has taken a lot of shots, been in some big wars. And I think that if he's going to have a shot at MMA fighting anymore, he needs to fight at 170. Um, no more weight cuts. Build up your muscle. Get stronger. Even take like a year to rebuild your body. Um, and then come back. And and your like his skill set's there. And then see if his chin holds up being in a different shape. Because right now, he's a lean, lanky, not like that's got to deplete his body and uh it's not gonna be good for your brain when you're getting rocked around so but i digress let's move forward into ufc columbus um we are in ohio we are going to see coleman in the corner of every person um fighting on the ohio card because that's what he does i'm not even sure if he coaches anybody anymore he just sort of shows up by <laughs> what i understand um this card looks very interesting, man. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this one. So what I want to do is they've actually even shuffled up the prelims a little bit. Because um, I know that they've moved some people around. So let me just pull up topology first and we will get going here. You know what? I'll just, I have the odds open too, but I mean, I'll, I'll have topology open. If you want to just have the odds open and I'll, uh, allude to you each time to throw those odds in there. Sure. So we have USC fight night, Columbus. We got Curtis blades taking on Chris Dawkins quick turnaround after getting knocked out by the man who lulls you to sleep and uh, just destroys your soul with one big overhand rights in Derek Lewis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this this is an interesting one. There's definitely a hedge op option here. Um, what do you want to do? Do you want to start at the top of the, the card, or do you want to work your uh, way up from the bottom? Nah, start at the top. That way we can get the good stuff going. Okay. So, first and foremost, let's look at the matchup between uh, Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins. What's the line on them right now? Yeah, minus 400 on Curtis Blades, and the return on Chris Dawkins is plus 300. Yeah, and I, I mean – Really, when you're you got two big guys in there and you're getting plus money on a docus, um, you know, it is appealing, it's very appealing. But Curtis Blades and his wrestling is just relentless. And, and you know, you're going to hear this the word relentless and takedowns and wrestling uh, about Blades all the time. But I mean, he just it's there, and it, I get it, it's a bigger cage, so there's a little more room, gives docus a chance. But I just think a guy who shoots as many takedowns and Curtis Blades 
for me, I, I'm going to have to roll with him on this one. And I think that it really is a good hedge out situation with Dawkins, uh by KO. I, I strongly believe Blaze wins this fight. But obviously, if we have a nice hedge, I'm, I'm good with that, too, because I could just enjoy watching this fight and, and not betting on it at all. So um, that's what it almost feels like when you have it at the end of the parlay with the hedge. Um, so I, I just think that the, the wrestling is going to be the difference. I think that I, I don't think Doc is going to be able to submit Blades in any situations. Blades just has to control him and start to be a little bit more punching. And I didn't even like to see him try to shoot for more submissions as well, too. Um, but obviously, let's not get himself in trouble and, and get himself in a grappling match where he gets uh, submitted himself. So I'm, I'm taking Curtis Blades in this one with the Ramble. And uh, Chris Dawkins is going to, you know, go on a little bit of a losing skid here. What's your thoughts? Yeah, man, honestly, I agree the exact same way. I've always been high on um, on Chris Blades. He's definitely made some ish, or some poor life decisions over his career. Like, even in the Derek Lewis fight, he really didn't shoot for as many takedowns as I thought that he would. I thought he showed a little bit of a poor fight IQ there. I felt like in the first round, he was kind of piecing up Derek Lewis a little bit. And that kind of made him a little bit less worried about the shot, which is a terrible thing whenever it comes to a Derek Lewis fight because that punch is always live. Um, and in all fairness, they both have that in common where they both have their lights shut up by Derek Lewis. That being said, like, I don't, it's hard for me to back um, Chris August in the spot. A lot of people on other, um, on other betting programs are talking about how like he's never been taken down and that type of stuff. But the level of competition is so low. And for me, it's just something I can't back in the spot. Yeah. I think Never it's a Curtis Blades. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, what does Chris Blades do? He takes you down and he mauls you. And like, oh, Chris Dawkins, he's got crazy punching power. It's like, yeah, but he's fought Shamil, who is 41 years old and has been KO'd in his last three fights. He fought Parker Porter, who is just kind of a straight-up brawler. Like, it's his fights are far from being that impressive. And to go against a guy like Curtis Blades, I think he's definitely going to run into some problems. And also, it's a perfect top take of material because the hedge out's there. Yeah, you know? and I mean, Derek Lewis is a hard uh, fight to gauge it on because I think the Lewis effect is there, right? Blades' game is takedowns. He gets nullified because he's just scared to shoot in. And then, you know, with Dawkins, he's scared to press him with his shots because of Lewis's power. So, okay, we're going to the next one on the card. We have, we have Joanne Wood against Alexa Grasso. Um, Joanne Wood coming off a loss to Talia Santos. Alexa Grosso coming off a win. Um, who was it she fought last? She had fought Macy, Marcy, Macy Barber? Yeah. Yeah. In a boxing performance that intrigued me um, and made me a huge fan. Um, the ever-tough Mexican Alexa Grosso with the pure boxing. Um, against, you know, Joanne Wood, who has that Muay Thai, who is game. Um but she seems to be on her skid. She's on the slide. As soon as she dropped the Scottish last name and just went with Wood, um, the world started to change for her. But uh, no, it actually started to slide before then. She likes to get into battles. She uses the Muay Thai to get into battles. The unfortunate thing about Muay Thai is head movement's not really there. You're marching forward. You get tagged. And after fighting that way for so long, she's 15-7-0 in the UFC, or mostly in the UFC, to be honest. I mean, she's just taking a lot of shots and she did seem a step behind Santos. I don't know if she was, you know, hesitant because she was a little bit, you know, worried about the power. Um, but she's not going to be able to do, just stand in front of Grasso. Grasso's going to pick her apart with the boxing. 
Um, as much as the dog shot looks nice, I think I, I was looking at Wood last time. I, I'm going to go with Grosso on this one. I think that she's going to get pieced up. Uh, Wood's going to get pieced up by Grosso's boxing. It just looked too stellar. Um, and you're going to see Joanne Wood maybe potentially drop out almost out of the rankings um, in the top 15. So I think Grosso rides all day. Even if she gets in trouble, she's got the tough uh, Mexican spirit. She'll get in there and uh, they just don't go away, man. Mexican boxers don't. So um, I'm going Grosso all day in this. Grosso decision may even be a prop play for me. Um, take it away. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I'm on the same boat as you. I like Grosso. I like her by decision. Um, one thing to point out is I feel like it's happening on books all around is that um, they're getting a lot better with the props, man. Like Grasso by decision is a minus 150. Like they're not even giving you plus money on this stuff anymore. So it's a little bit uh, difficult to take the prop on this one, but I really think Grasso rides in the spot. Like Joanna Calderwood, she's in her late thirties. Um, Alexa Grasso's 28. She's kind of on the up and up in her career. Her boxing looks better every single time she comes out. And Joanne Carl, uh, Joanne Wood, sorry, doesn't wear punches well. And whenever you got her fights that generally go to the decision, that's something that's kind of worrisome because a lot of these judges, you know, they're just going to look at it by damage. And I feel like Grosso will land the better punches and she'll come out looking like the better fighter. I think the minus 250 is probably a little bit wide for Grosso just because Joanne Wood has fought a really high level of competition over years, but she hasn't really beaten them. So, I'm with Grasso all day on this one, and uh, hopefully the judges don't screw you on this one because I feel like this one could be a little dicey on the scorecards. Yeah, it potentially could. I mean, that's where, you know, you take the shot, but eventually as well, too. If, I, if I'm leaning Grasso, then I'd look at uh, Grasso's split decision, and I'll, I'll just – I won't put too much weight into the fight, but then I'll maybe just sprinkle a little prop on it. Um, next fight on the card, we have the immortal Matt Brown in his home – State hometown against Brian Barbarina. Um, this is a battle of two guys that are warriors that uh, go out in their shield maybe too often. And um, they may be, I mean, I thought Matt Brown was going to retire his last fight. I think he even thought maybe he was going to retire his last fight. Um, but he's still going. He's still kicking. He wants to get in there and, and, you know, chop it up in the welterweight division. The man has power in his hands. He has some, you know, some pretty solid uh, grappling and wrestling. Um, his weaknesses. Um, knees up the middle are an issue for this man. And I've watched a lot of tape on him. Obviously I've been watching him for years. Um, he doesn't handle knees well. And, and you, you see this in multiple different situations, knees in the body. And it, when this gets sloppy and I, I'm just worried, like I, I really, this is a stay away. I, I don't think that you can really go either way confidently because both guys are going to have their weaknesses. And when they're going in there in the phone booth and just throwing, I mean, Matt Brown, his chin starting to go, um, susceptible to the knees up the middle, which I know Barbarena likes to throw as well, too. So I'm just Barbarena proves you wrong time and time again. I know that he had his, his, his illness, he was out for a little while, came back. Um, I know it's been lower level competition. This is just a little bit of a step up in competition from what he was fighting when he came back. But man, I don't even know where to go with this one. I might just lean Matt Brown uh, to lean Matt Brown, but for me, this is a, a big stay away. Um, I don't want to touch this one, I just want to sort of eat some popcorn and, uh, you know, do my thing on this one. Thoughts? Yeah, What's man. the line right now? Uh, sorry. Um, I'll say it in a sec. Yeah, and honestly, though, man, like, um, I actually like it, Matt Brown, on the spot. Right now, this fight's in at a pick em. It's minus 110, 110 both ways. Um, okay. For me, man, like, I'm actually pretty high on Matt Brown on the spot because 
Brian Barbarino to me, man, I think the I think a lot of people put a lot of stock in the Vicente Luque fights because like he did look good, but it's because Vicente Luque brought that fight that Brian Barbarino likes. Like at the end of the day, Matt Brown is the more well-rounded fighter. He's got much more technical fighter uh, fight IQ and the more skills, and he's fighting in front of his hometown crowd. I think this is kind of the end of Matt Brown's career, and I think he definitely rides on a win here. Brian Barbarino kind of scares me because the guy takes seven punches to give one. Like, he's not technically sound. He can't defend a takedown. Like, Matt Brown's going to have a takedown or have a, a grappling advantage here, and I don't think anybody's ever said that in a Matt Brown fight. So it's hard for me to even, like... Like, I think Matt Brown should be a favorite in this fight, if I'm being honest. Like, it's just Brian Barbarino, like... If you look at his record, the guy hasn't beaten anybody. You're gonna sway me to 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 actually betting on this fight, aren't you? I, I'm. Come but on, you man. think about it, like he beat Darian Weeks, which is one of the worst fighters on the uh, roster, and he beat Anthony Ivy, which I guarantee you can't even name the guy's last fight. Like, I know. I think I'm I'm more fading Brown because of his age, and then you've seen him get rocked. It just worries me. Um, you know, I've been watching MMA for since 2000 um, really solidly and Brown has been one of my favorite fighters since he came into the, to, to the UFC um, had a chance to meet him multiple times. This guy, I want to back. Right. So I, I'm sort of fading myself. I, I don't want to be the fanboy. Um, I want to straight up, just stay away from it. I'll, I'll let you just continue with that. If I do play something on it, I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't jinx me, man. I got Matt Brown, uh, Matt Brown already in a seven person parlay. So um, I just think no, he rides in the spot, it's a man. Good breakdown, man. Yeah, like I, th- I think he's. I said Brian Barrino, man. He's too hittable. Like he's, he's susceptible to every takedown that comes his way. Like he's the way Brian Barrino wins is by people engaging in a firefight with him. And I think Matt Brown knows at this point in his career that he's not going to go out there and just swing hammers. Like, so we'll see, we'll see. But I'm high on Matt Brown in the spot. And I'm hoping he rides to his hometown crowd. Crowd, sorry. Okay. Next on the card, we have Askar Askarov against Kai Kara France. And this may be a spot where everybody goes, I thought, I thought, I thought. And it scares the shit out of me anyway. Um, after watching tape, I see that he's a world beater. I see that he is this next prospect that people are – you know, one of the the 16 guys from the region that they say is going to be the next champion because everybody says, you know, somebody with a Rob at the end of the name is going to be the next champion who takes people to the ground and beats them up. And, you know, that's getting tired. And this guy likes to get punched in the face. He likes to get hit, he keeps his head on the center line. And if he keeps this, if, if Kai Kara France can keep this fight on the feet, I mean, plus 255 for Kai Kara France. I'm not putting any weight into the, you know, the Cody Garbrandt, but this guy does have power in his hands. He has dynamite in his hands. He didn't get to really prove it in the UFC early, but, you know, minus 335 for Askar Askarov. In a lot of cases, maybe he, he could be weighed that way, but the fact that he keeps his head out there and gets hit, um, and maybe you have the numbers, maybe you don't. But, I mean, when you have a guy who has power in his hands like this, I just – I. I'm tempted, man. And I don't want to put Askarov in any of my parlays because I think it's just a volatile situation. Um, at least not in any, you know, top plays or in the parlay. Um, so I, I think he wins, but there's a lot of risk factor there, man. And when the lines look the way they do, 
you know, if this starts to inflate even more, unless more people are, are going to come back in the, on the care of France side, man, I might just go with the dog on this. Yeah. I get that if, if Askar comes in and takes him down, I get it. If he takes him down and sits him on his back and, you know, holds him in place and starts smashing him, I get how he's going to look like a minus 500. But it's just, what if he can't? It's a bigger cage. What if he, what, what if he can't? If he can't, it's going to flip completely the other way. There's still a live betting situation where you still get decent money um, once you see them exchange in the first little bit. But, man, I, I'm, I'm really leaning the dog on this. In all rights, Askar Astrov should ride in this fight, but he just scares me, man. He keeps things, he almost plays down to the the level. I don't know. Poor fight IQ at times. Just, anyways, up to you. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, But I think if you're going to bet Kaikara France, I think you bet the KO. I don't think it wins yeah. minutes in this fight. Like, no. um, that being said, like, Askar Askarov, he only has a 28% takedown accuracy, so there is a good chance that Kai's going to be able to stop some of his uh, takedowns. He trains at an amazing camp, but Kai's never really showed me anything to care about, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. I came into the UFC as a world beater, uh, was Kangoing everybody, and then really didn't get a KO in the UFC until his last two fights. Um, his KO over Bontorino was relatively impressive. The guy did show in his last fight against Brandon Royvel that he is better than a lot of people gave him credit for. Um, but and Co- KO and Cody Garbrandt has just been kind of a, a trend that's happened a lot lately. Kai does land five strikes per minute. So as opposed to Askar Askarov only landing 3.37. But I think the threat of the takedown being there is just going to be the difference in this fight. I think that although Kai may have the potential to KO, I think whenever Askar starts shooting for legs and Giving up the or giving in the uh, clinch control and just mixing it up. I just think ultimately he's going to win minutes and ride it to a decision. Um, this is another show me spot. I'll admit I haven't done very good in show me spots recently. So maybe I'll eat my words on this one too. But I think Askarov should be fighting for a title. Um, and I think that this is just kind of a step along the way because they decided to book that uh, the fourth fight between Moreno and Figgy. Like, if you actually look at it, man, and you look up the card, that might be the fight to actually – well, actually, no. What's what's the line? I mean, we could do – you could do, you could run two two lines up, parlays up, and have that as an end, end to one of your parlays because um, there's, hey. there's good heads there, right? Yeah, you know, Kai Bai's uh, finish is plus 750. Like, yeah, that's nice, man. I like that. So, so if we'll, you get, we'll take a look at that. And if you can get just the KO, you're probably going to get close to plus 1,000. And that is so, the only way he's going to win, right? So, yo, I honestly, I'm looking at it right now, plus 1600 round one. I'm going to have to sprinkle that, man, because I think that's live. I think if the fight gets extended, Askar is going to eventually going to be able to control his game plan in second, third round, really keep him on the mat. But Kai's going to come a swing in the first round. So, that plus 1600, man, it's, it's worth a sprinkle. Or even if we ran with it, it gives you two hedge out options, right? So, once you get to Askar, Askar, you drop. Um, on Kai Kara France, you get by him. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. You don't want to hedge too much. Then you hedge all over yourself, as I say. So <laughs> next fight in the card, we have Alexei Olenek against Ilya Latifi. Um, this one is, what did, I, what did I call this fight again? And I, I think I'm just being critical because when I see guys getting up in age, unless you're Randy Couture, um, you know, I, I call this fight a big bag of donkey dicks, I believe. But yeah, it was a big bag of donkey dicks. Um Alexei Olenek 
is now what 44 45 but his body is like 65 man he's been in wars grapplers bodies don't age well look at any any if you know any grapplers who are older um man their bodies they don't age well most of them have a lot of injuries and this guy is no no different he's slow lumbering i guess I, I get Ilya Latifi you know has been knocked out i get that he's actually really not that high level um he has some good striking the likelihood is Latifi's going to end up on top. You're going to see a lot of top game, some smash, some submission attempts. But really, I just, as you know, plus 159, we have Olenek, Latifi coming in at minus 200. I just don't even touch it. I think it's a, it's, it's a fight that, it's a 1-800-GAMBLER fight. Yeah, sure, Olenek could catch the submission. You could sprinkle the money on the submission if it happens. But I think the likelihood is Latifi's going to, you know, land more strikes, Likely be in top position most of the fight. Probably even you know win a decision in this. Um, I, I just both guys. I'm just not interested anymore. And in, in this division, we don't need these fights anymore. This belongs somewhere else. Bellator. Yeah, like honestly, there's no real breakdown for this fight. Like at the end of the day, if Lexi's gonna win, choke or no choke. Yeah. <laughs> like, but that being said, like now call me crazy here, but I think Alexi wins on the feet. Like. Like, Latifi doesn't throw anything. So, at least in Alexi, like, remember in, like, the Alistair Overeem fight where he's, like, throwing, like, those sideways hammer fists at Alistair and Alistair's just standing there like, what the fuck is going on? Like, he at least tries to win minutes standing. His striking is absolutely atrocious by any stretch of the imagination, but, like... Oh, lumbering, countered by Latifi. That's what I see. Anyway. Yeah, well, it's... Uh... Yeah, because the guy who doesn't throw a lot usually he's, he's playing the counter game. But I mean, who knows? Maybe that I'm proved wrong on that. You could be right on that. Maybe you saw something I didn't in the, the stand up. So there's nothing on this fight I see though. Like I was looking at Alexi round one, and it's only a plus five hundred, so that does nothing for me. Um, I don't. I'm gonna go with Alexi because fuck it. But I got real no hot take on this fight at all. Like, I'm going to go with Latifi, but we're not even adding this to our head-to-head. I have to do the calculations this week, finally, for the head-to-head. And I even actually want to look back at any of our full card picks that we've done and see if we can get percentages on the full year so far. Sure, um, I love it. But, uh, so I'm going to look back. I think on most of your social media, it'll be there. So I'm going to look back and try to calculate all that this week. But uh, if we look at this fight, it's a dumpster fire. I'm not interested. It's very rare I say that. Most, most misogynistic assholes say it about women's fights. And that really is what it is because they just, yeah, anyways, I don't want to get into that one again. Um, I honestly like think the both these guys have another fight or two left on their contract and the UFC is just kind of like, what the fuck can we give these guys? Like, I think they're just trying to ride out their contracts at this point. Yeah, I mean, you want to just get, get the fights out of there and anyway. And you don't want them to get hurt because Alexi's They were both 60. destroy me. It's, you know, I ain't shit, <laughs> but it's just my whole point is I just get frustrated when I see guys that maybe should retire. You know, I like it. Um, that's it. Like if it was a Cody Garbrandt fight, I'd be thinking the same way. I wouldn't even want to talk about it because I'm done talking about him fighting. Um, next fight in the card, we have Mark D. Casey against Vashislav Borshev. We have Slava Claus coming in at minus 175. What the fuck is going on against Mark D. Casey, who is plus 142? Okay. Um, well, we have vividness bias. We have recency bias. Yes, I know that the, the striking is there from Borshev, but this line, I think, is the most misaligned line on the card. Um, that being said, the reason why I will not go with DKC is poor fight IQ. The guy is way more talented than his record shows. The guy 
um, really in the stand-up, this should be fun to watch, but he should be mixing in the takedowns and try to potentially win minutes on the ground, get some time control on, on Borshev and, and maybe slow him down a little bit so he can take away some of that pop off the punches. Does he do that though? I, I just don't know. So I won't bet on it. The guy that I've seen go through fire, walk through fire, take shots. Yes, we know he's, I think he's been knocked out in regional scene, but um, I'm going to go with Borshev on this. I, I really don't like the line. I don't like it at all. Um, I think it should be more of a pick em at this point. If we really want to talk about it, if not, um, the other way around, just because we just, there's not enough to know right now. You can watch a lot of tape on him, but Borshev still hasn't fought that upper echelon. This is, a, a little, I think, a little bit of a step up in competition. Um, if Dia Casey lets, lets the hands go, we'll, we're going to see where this goes. But uh, I'll lean Borshev, not happy with the line. Wish I could have got him a little, little bit of a better price because it's sort of bullshit. But anyways, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is... This is a tough one, right? Like, so with uh, Porsche, like, a lot of people had questions going into the Dakota Bush fight, and I feel like he, you know, he answered all the questions. Um, he looked real good against Chris Duncan on the Contender Series. We said that whenever we broke down his fight against Dakota Bush. But the one thing that's always looming over his head is his strength of schedule prior to that was fucking terrible. He had five yeah. fights, and the only guy with a winning record he lost to. So everybody else had 50-50 records, three and three, two and two, and I think one and one. Or I'm sorry, four and one. So he beat one guy with a winning record. But it's it's tough, right? But I think this still kind of favors him in this fight. Because in retrospect, I'm a huge Mark Casey fan, but he's kind of a bust of a UFC prospect. He doesn't seem like he can really get his head in the game. The Rafael Elvis fight was a tough one to watch. Uh, I do still say that not shot had something to do with that. Um, the Rafael Fazee fight wasn't really close. He beat Leonardo Veneta and Joe Duffy. Both two good fights are both fights where he was fighting strikers where he had a high advantage to. And then that's what that, scares me though, right? Sorry, sorry, that's what scares me though, right? Like fighting guys like Fazee having a strength of schedule like that in comparison to what Borshev's schedule is, it is a little scary. Yeah, yeah, it's and this is a real show me spot. And like I said earlier, I haven't been doing good in these show me spots, and I'm gonna ride with Borshev on the spot. But if Mark won and Mark killed my parlay because I got Borshev parlayed as well, because unfortunately with this card, it's you know the lines are so wide that you kind of gotta go for the ones that aren't gonna make you fucking put up a mortgage payment to get a good price. But um, Jacasey won. I wouldn't be mad. I'm a huge Jacasey fan. But I just think that Styles make fights, and I think that after his last couple losses, he's going to come in hesitant. I think he probably should have taken a little bit more time off. That Elvis fight wasn't that long ago, and I feel like he's going to be a little bit gun-shy coming in here, where Borges knows that this is a fight and a name where he can ride off it, and I think he's going to come in here guns blazing. So I'm with you. Okay, so next fight on the card, we have Max Griffin against Neil Magny. Max Griffin on a resurgence, um, you know, had some good boxing in his last fights, but really, I mean, I think he going up against a Carlos Condit, um, Condit really has beaten himself in a lot of his fights. I love Condit. He's one of my favorite fighters ever. He's overcomplicated his fights, I think, and, and almost beaten himself in fights. And I think that, uh, a Condit that was focused against, uh, Griffin, I think he beats him all day. 
But boxing did look good. There is a resurgence. He's plus 193 against a minus 245 Neil Magny. Neil Magny is the guy. He's always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. Um, sort of an odd sentence. But the reality is, is he's that good, but he's just, he scrapes the surface. And his, you know, strength of schedule is there. The guy has grappling. The guy has striking. But I don't know, man. When you have a guy with momentum, momentum is a real fucking thing. So it, it is a little bit of a, I'm looking at the 193 thinking about it, but I'm going to go with Magny in this pick. Um, Magny by decision. Um, and what could potentially be one of the fight of the nights, to be honest. This could end up being a, a good war. But I'm going to lean Neil Magny. I think just he's too skilled in comparison to Max Griffin in this one. And I, I just don't see Max Griffin really winning solid minutes on the feet with him. So uh, what's your thought on this one? Yeah, to be honest, this is one of the only fights on the card where I think the line is actually accurately lined. Um, I think uh, Neil Magny is the rightful favorite. A lot of people like Max Griffin. As you said, he's on kind of a career resurgence, but he's fighting like just the worst of the competition in the UFC. Like, I'm with you, man. Like, I grew up, I got a case in my basement of old UFC DVDs that I used to watch every single night before I went to bed. Carlos Condon is probably on fucking half of them. But at the end of the day, he's just past his prime man like it's not much to say you're going out there and beating him nowadays it's not like it was back in the day yep. neil magny is the ultimate gatekeeper um and honestly i like him on the spot but as you said i don't think this fight's gonna be exciting like i think neil magny's probably gonna take max griffin down and he's probably just gonna ride out a lackluster decision win minutes and i don't think it's gonna be fight of the night I think Max Griffin's going to be frustrated and going into the third round, just tired of Neil Magny being on top of him for the last 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, Fight IQ may actually nullify what I was saying, because if he does just take him down and ride him out, then, uh, I mean, good on him for the win, but also maybe why he hasn't made it in the upper tier. Um, But I stayed on the feet, though. That would be a war to watch. But uh, Yeah, I I just don't think Neil Magny will play that game. Like, I think he's a little smarter than that. But even then, like, you know, he beat Jeff Neal. Like, he beat Robbie Lawler. Like, he's... He didn't have to risk it with him. You're, you're right, though. You're, you are right. Like, totally pick apart my my thought, but you are 100% right. Max <laughs> Griffin, well, no, but why why risk it with Max Griffin? Yeah, it's... You're right. You're 100% right. Why, why risk it with Max Griffin? Get this window out of your way with no damage, and then get back in the, you know, the race is, would be his thought or should be his thought um, and make a statement in another fight. So I, I'm with you on that. Um, next point in the card, we have Sarah McMahon against Carl, uh, Carol Rosa. Um, Sarah McMahon, just a fighter that never really formulated such strong wrestling pedigree. Um, but gas is poor fight IQ and really not someone you can back. The wrestling pedigree always makes you want to back her. You always want to like, it, it makes you, mm, what if, what if she takes her down, holds her down, gets minutes. I'm just, I'm not seeing it. I think Carol Rosa rides here. I think she's one of the stronger plays of the night. Uh, and what I, I didn't, I was actually even potentially leaning looking at McMahon before I watched more tape. And after watching tape, I'm, I'm thinking Rosa could even take her down at points. Um, so I'm going to go Rosa minus 225 against uh, McMahon at plus 178. Uh, take Rosa. I'm probably not going to throw her in parlays or anything. People have suggested it, but um, you're definitely going to, I think she's going to ride here. I think McMahon just going to do what she does. You may want to look at a live betting, but I, I, I highly doubt it. I don't see McMahon getting older and, and getting a better gas tank as she gets older. So, um, Rosa rides. Thoughts? Yeah, once again, man, it's, I feel like we're going to be on the same page on a lot of these. Um, 
I got to agree on it. Like Sarah McMahon to me, she's just, she's 41 years old. She's facing somebody who's 27. Um, I do. I don't hate the lot of anything. I know that we're quoting that from other podcasts, just the same, but it's, it's a good move. Like I think Sarah McMahon could probably win the first round, but I think her gas tank will fail on her quite quickly after that. And then uh, Rosa will just take over. But to me, this is still relatively low level. I've kind of learned my lesson of betting low level women's MMA. Um, we saw last weekend too, where a lot of people got burned pretty early in the night where low level women's MMA kind of came in clutch there. So I'm really glad I didn't sell myself on that story so much. And I just sprinkled it and called it. I'm glad I labeled it as the tinfoil hat play. That way I yeah. didn't sell myself on it actually being a legitimate hot play. Um, Cause that was really sucked. But yeah, man, um, Carl Rosa, but no hot take. Um, maybe split decision. Could be one of your bets there. Sarah okay, McMahon so- can land takedowns, and if she win- if she lands takedowns, she can win minutes. And somebody else pointed out, um, Ohio doesn't do a lot of MMA, so you're gonna get some sketchy ass judges. You're gonna get some you're boxing get, judges. Uh, from what they were saying, there's gonna be some boxing just judges mostly. Yeah. Um, so look for that's what one of the reasons why I was leaning towards um, uh, Alexa Grasso. Yeah, that's yeah, um, a good take. So next fight in the card, we have possibly what I think is going. This is going to potentially be fight of the night if it lasts longer and, and rides through. Um, I'm excited for this fight. Watching tape is sort of fun. Um, trying to figure out and pick apart how this really will play through. Um, initially, my first play um, in my head was you know Danaba Bakarel is going to be able to cut through Gutierrez in and out style. Um, he has good footwork and movement, but eventually just ride through and cut through him like butter and catch him. You know, Gutierrez coming in at plus 125. Both guys um, can strike, but just different styles. We have Gutierrez coming in with higher volume. And the one thing I think would be a benefit to him, if you watch Batgirl throw any kicks, he's always off balance. If you watch him even at points, he's, he'll be off balance in his strikes because he just loads up so much. Take away that calf in the front. If he can start peppering that calf right away, this could actually prove a huge advantage for that power drive forward from Dana Baccarel because there's so much power um, for such a small guy. Um, his shots are looping, but they're there. They're, like they're not fully looping. Like they're, they're, you know what I'm saying? Like they come over the top. There's room for Gutierrez to catch him, but I don't know, man. This is gonna be this. This is a hard one. I've gone back and forth in my head, man. I was thinking Gutierrez could ride in this and point him all the way through this and just stay out away from the power. Uh, I could see it going both ways, you know, and you could see these guys splitting, you know, 50, 50, if they fought 10 times, which is why, you know, I guess it's minus 150 back plus 125 for Gutierrez. This could be a split decision call. If back obviously doesn't get him out of there. I'm still on the fence with this. I've gone back and forth. I'll probably have my pick a little bit later in the week, but, uh, no, I can't be a pussy. I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Uh, well, this is gonna be. You know let me, let me hear what you got to say on it. But I've been back and forth, man. Like it, it's, it's gonna be power with some precision over just precision and speed. So, yeah. So, um, I'm on the dog of this one, man. I like Chris Gutierrez in this one a lot. Um, I think as you point out, the leg kicks are gonna be the difference. Um, with uh, Chris Gutierrez, like the guy's only ever been finished by, uh, by submission. And that was fairly early on in his career. The guy takes a punch really well. He's fought guys like Vince Morales, Andrew Ewell. Um, he's fought Ronnie Barcelos. 
he's fought Timor Valley of twice in early in his career and the WSOF. Um, so I actually like him a lot. I think his strength of schedule is a lot better than what the UFC has actually given him. And the one thing to know, like they, we're going back to traveling events, right? So we're not dealing with the apex cage three weeks out of the year or three weeks out of the month. So with it being a bigger cage, I think it favors Chris a lot in this one. I think he's going to be able to dance around the cage. I think those kicks are going to be a big difference, and that's going to take away the power of uh, Bagarel there. So I actually like Chris a lot in this spot. I think he's going to be the better win it, uh, minute winner, and I think Dana is just going to get a little bit more frustrated and start throwing stupid shots. Um, I think this fight probably does go to a decision, though, despite contrary belief. Because Chris doesn't really throw with the intention of getting somebody out of there. So I believe if he wins, he's probably going to be. What? Yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I was saying he's in and out. Like, I think the good, good game plan would be first round Gutierrez comes out. I got to call you out, by the way, you French Canadian motherfucker. Gutierrez. Gutierrez. No, but it, but it's your natural inclination, right? Probably school, whatever it is. It's yeah. You say Gutierrez. Like Collier, like Collier, you say yeah. Collier. Collier. So it's not even like you're saying it wrong. You're saying it based on the fact of French Canadian because you're <laughs> so close to that that part of the world. All right. It's like, like, like I'm talking about like you're so far away from me. Um, yeah, man, I, I think that's, that, that's a good call. Uh, I wasn't even really um, – I think I had taken an account of the cage, but I didn't mention the cage. That's another uh, a good play. But, yeah, in the first round, if Gutierrez can come out – and get Dana to start throwing, you know, just getting to chase him around. Even to the point where, you know, Gutierrez might even lose that round because it looks like Dana's, you know, the aggressor and winning it, but just tire him out and, and get him to gas a little bit and then just start to roll. Even halfway through the first round, just start to roll. Um, it could be a play. You've, you've uh, edged me that way. That's sort of the way I was leaning when I was talking about Gutierrez and I leaned back towards Baccarel. So who knows if I go back and forth again, but um, I like your play on it. It is a good a little bit of plus money, and I think that uh, Gutierrez could um, coast in this if he can get, you know, Dana throwing punches and, and starting to gas out a bit. So next part of the card, we have. Are you going to try to pronounce these names? Are we going to Are we going to do this one? Because I oh, will. I will put together a, a blooper reel after this. Oh, it's going it's to be bad. Elias Cobb Kizrayev against Dennis Twulin. I practiced that shit. I did okay. <laughs> um, Dennis Tuluvin, uh against Kizrayev. We have plus 450 Tuluvin against the minus 650 chalk. Wow. Holy shit. It was like minus 200 at the beginning of the week or minus 250 or some shit. It is blown up because we have Dennis. I don't know if it was short notice exactly. I don't know how short notice it might have been. But apparently it's like he's the only one that's going to take the fight. And some guys sort of messed up why some of Kizriev's fights were canceled. Some guys actually looked into it and saw that it was COVID or whatever else. Some were saying it was Kizriev that canceled all the fights. It would appear that some people don't want to just fight this guy because you're just going to get taken down, mauled, and smashed. Um, I, I don't want to believe in hype too much, but when you watch tape on this guy, you actually don't have to watch tape on this guy. Just look for the top video on YouTube. It's a highlight reel. Watch that. That's it. You don't need to watch anything else. Because you know, in his strength, the schedule did start to get a little bit better um, right before he did jump into the UFC. But he just grabs guys, drags them to the ground, smashes them, submits them, does whatever he wants to them. Um, 
I know there's a little bit of questions with something like that because what when what what does he do when he faces adversity or what happens when it drags on um and where's the cardio at you can ask so many questions that way but not in this fight um he's gonna come in and smash this man and this is actually a spot where i'm watching tape on both guys Tulin uh, actually plays right into Kizrev's hands. Um, he's going to throw shots where uh, Kizrev's going to either be able to counter it or even shoot under and take him down really quickly. I, I don't see this lasting long. Um, but fucking minus six fifty—that really sucks. That's not even a—that's not even fun to parlay. That's Bellator shit, which is why we're talking about potentially. I don't know. We got to get something out earlier, whether it's the full podcast or even a quick shot at certain people. You know, lock these lines now, early locks or something. It's not, I don't know, something. Because we need to get, uh, we need to beat some of these Bellator lines because it's looking like it's going that way. So I definitely am going to say Kiss Rare up all day, mauls him, takes him down, potentially submits him. I may not get cute with it. I'll just throw the minus 650 in the parlay, call it a day. Um, what do you take? What's your take on this one? Yeah, so there's nothing else to really add to this, man. I, I think Dennis took his fight because Kusli have <laughs> needed one. But at the end of the day, like, it shows how high they're thinking about this guy. If you look at his canceled bouts, man, you had one with Kyle, uh, Chris Dawkins, who was fighting in the main event of this. Also, Alessio DiCricchio, relatively high-level competition. And William Turner, who can eat a bag of dicks, but nonetheless still up there in the competition level. This guy's just here for a paycheck, in my opinion, and um, I think he probably gets yeah. starched in the first round. I think this is just his way into getting another UFC fight. They're doing him kind of a favor at this one, but... He's going to take a beating. Yeah, it's one of those spots, man, where you just say, well, that's why it's minus 650. The books aren't stupid. As soon as the money started pouring in a little bit, the uh, that line got you straight up. So. Fuck, it's minus 725 on my buck right now. So, Yeah, okay, so maybe I need to jump. Um, <laughs> next fight in the card, we have one of my favorite female fighters because she is a monster. Manon Firo at minus 500. Monster, Jesus Christ, against Jennifer Maya. Now, this scares me a little bit. I know that th- there's a world beater in Manal Firo. I know the striking's there. She- she's a judo player as well, right? Yeah. Oddly enough, and I shouldn't have done it, but I didn't watch tape on this one again because I've watched so much fucking tape on Manal Firo. And uh, Jennifer Maya, we know really what her path to victory is. Um, with this one, Manal Firo is going to be going into my parlay for sure. Um, that being said, Jennifer Maya may get a sub sprinkle. So even in saying I'm going to do that, I maybe shouldn't put Firo on my, my parlay, but um, I just think she's going to win minutes on the feet and just smash her. Um, and I just don't know if Maya's going to be able to get this fight where she wants to get it um, and really be able to, to grapple her. I think Firo wins, rides, um, but minus 500. The fuck are we doing here, Bolotor? Yeah, no, it's, it's tough, man. Like, it's been the last couple of weeks. It's been the last month. Like the lines for MMA have just been fucking juice. Um, that being said, you get minus 105 on Firo by decision. I really don't think she gets Jennifer Maya out of there. Um, Maya's never really been finishing a career. They're all kind of decision losses. Um, I feel like Firo definitely wins minutes and definitely is a better fighter. But if you're gonna lay, like if you're gonna parlay it, I get it. But um I think Firo by decision is probably the best way to go. She's gonna land the better strikes. Jennifer Maya, although has wins by getting fighters to the ground, she's absolutely terrible at getting it there herself. 
as we talked about whenever we broke down the Kaylin Jukagian rematch, she only gets fights to the ground by people slipping or catching kicks. She's god-awful with takedowns. So her best strength is ultimately her worst weakness, just the same. Um, she's fought a high level of competition for sure, but she hasn't beaten anybody worth noting. So uh, I think Ferro is just, this is just another show me spot for her. I think Ferro is probably going to get it done and probably ride out a 30 27 decision. As you were talking, I talked myself out of the sub, uh, sub sprinkle because, um, and it was, Actually, me thinking back to what I said in the podcast last week was a black belt turns into a brown belt turns into a white belt really quick after they get punched in the face. And yeah. Thoreau doesn't stop. So if, you know, if Maya's trying to go for anything in any situation, she's going to be met with strikes from everywhere at all times because Thoreau doesn't stop. So that just solidified my my pick on Thoreau, although I was already solid on it. The the, the sprinkle, I'm going to just hold back that that unit or two. Or, or half unit probably um, on the Maya sub. So next fight in the card, we have Dave Dvorak against Matus Nikolau. Nikolau coming in at plus 107. I believe he was a little bit more of a dog, uh, but money's starting to pour in on him against the minus 130 David Dvorak. Um, man, I'm, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm with Nikolau on this one, man. I watched both guys fighting. I, I watched both their, their striking, and I just, I, I like. I like Nikolau in this spot, man. I, I think that he has a chance to really put himself in that upper echelon and, and really, I don't know if he ever makes it to championship material, but I th- definitely think he can crack that top 10. Um, I like what I see here. Dvorak, we'll see if the volume comes. If, if he can bring some volume, his power is there. Um, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to get at Nikolau the way he wants in the cage and actually t- hit that chin the way he wants. What, what's your thoughts on this fight? Uh, I didn't get to watch too much tape on this one. Uh, more going on, uh, you know, memory of their fights, and I saw a little bit of highlights. But what's your take on this one? Yeah, fuck, I don't think we're going to have a head-to-head this week, man. Um, I like Nikolau a lot in the spot. I think there's a lot of hype on David Dvorak, and I don't really understand it. He's a good striker, really strong grappler. But I think Nikolau's just faced just a high level of competition. He looked really good against this fight against Manel Cape. I don't personally think he won that fight. But at the end of the day... He still looked very good against, to me, one of the guys who could potentially challenge for a title in the near coming future. Um, he has a decision win over Tim Elliott, where we saw Tim Elliott go out there the other weekend and just upset uh, Tajir, despite the finger grabs and whatever. But um, I think he's just, as I said, I think the high level of competition is going to be the difference here. I don't really understand why DeBork is uh, the favorite. So I'll take the plus money on him all day. I think because he, he does have some striking, he has the grappling, there's some power. There's always people always, they always throw their, you know, value at power because then you're adding a, a potential KO prop or whatever else and you'll, you'll see value go one way. But yeah, I mean, I just, I, I'm with you on this. I'm not fully sold on Dvorak and I think that's where I'm just, you know, fading a little bit with Nikolaus. So um, it is a little bit lower level, but I think Nikolaus, like, like I said, he's impressed me at points. I remember at points in his fight being like, oh, all right. See, let's see what this guy's got. So next fight in the card, we have Bruno Souza against Luis Saldana. Okay, so Souza, um, we're, we're likely going to have a, a kickboxing match. Souza coming in at minus 115, um, Saldana at minus 105. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Leota Machida, maybe too much. People talk about Leota Machida in the breakdown of this fight, and it's sort of irrelevant. Um, 
really the only thing that is relevant is the fact that there's going to be some guys that are going to stand in front of each other, keep a distance, um, and there's going to be some kicks. <laughs> there's going to be some kicks. There's going to be some distance striking. Um, Luis Saldana, people are shitting on him pretty hard right now because of his gas tank. But his gas tank really went in the last fight against Austin Lingo because he had no room to move. He had no room to throw his kicks. Uh, Lingo was there everywhere. So, like, when you circle off, when you're back backing towards the cage and you circle off, you can usually catch somebody with a kick as you're circling out, right? Or when you reset, you can catch them with a kick at that distance. There was no room. Lingo was constantly swarming him. So, even after he circled out, he'd readjust. And he was constantly there in front of his face all the time. He pushed the pace on him. He emptied his gas tank because... Then Saldana, I remember, was going for just home run wins near the end because he couldn't really do anything else about it. Um, and, you know, Lingo really is lower. I remember being a little bit pissed off because we were in on Saldana, and, or at least I was in on Saldana at the time, and Lingo just beat him with pressure. And that was it, right? And I think that Saldana was way better than that. Um, I don't see Souza opposing, imposing his will on, on Saldana here. I don't see him applying pressure. I don't see there's going to be any grappling situation where you potentially could gas, could gas out for long periods of time. Um, so it makes him a lot more alive for me than, than some other people are looking at. Souza played down to his level of his competition in his last fight um, and not overly impressed with him. He, he, it seems mentally like, you know, there should be more of a killer instinct in him. And I, I have seen that in Saldana when he was desperate fighting, trying to keep Lingo off of him. So I'm really inclined to lean Saldana here. I have gone back and forth in this fight. Um, I was leaning a little bit more Souza when I first started watching tape. And um, after really realized that I may be giving Saldana a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt because of the lingo pressure. Um, and I don't see him actually gassing out as much in this fight. So I, I think I'm going to go with Saldana in this uh, minus 105 to beat Bruno Souza. We can make this one or head-to-head, I guess. I think it's 7-1. We don't see eye to eye on. Um, that being said, this isn't really a strong take I have. I like Bruno Souza. I think he's a little bit low volume, but I just think he has the higher ceiling in this fight. Luis Aldana, as you point out, he definitely is getting a lot of flack because of his gas tank. But in his last fight, he got smothered. So what do you really expect to happen? That's going to wear on you. Um it's just going to be a closely contested kickboxing kind of karate style fighter. And I think if Bruno Souza can up the output a little bit, he can definitely win this fight. But I got no real hot take on this one. It's, it's a pick em fight. And at the end of the day, I said, is, if you're looking for a split decision prop, this may be the one because I don't think either one of these guys is going to put out enough output to really justify a unanimous decision. And, well, the output may not be there exactly. The one thing, and I do agree with you on on Souza, I think he has a little bit more of the damaging blows and a little bit more of the talent, but his volume's not there. His head's not in the game the way it needs to be. And if he does come and and throw a little bit more volume, it's going to be scary to watch. But Saldana did show like he wanted to survive in that lingo fight, and I think that was the difference. We had one guy who sort of checked out to lunch, the other guy who's, like, fighting for his life, trying to land whatever he can. And uh, that's going to be the difference in my pick. I think I'll go for the guy who was fighting for, you know, his life versus the other guy who's sort of coasting like he just got out of bed. So I'll, I'll go with Saldana in this. We'll take this as a head-to-head. I'm glad that we got a head-to-head anyways. Um, but, yeah, now let's go back down the card and, and see where we can find some spots. So um, number one spot that we are pretty confident in, we're going to go with the Chalkies minus 650 in Kizrav. Correct. Yeah. 
Next spot, we have minus 500, Manon Firo. Yeah. Um, next spot, we could go with Askar Askarov um, and just leave it there, to be honest, because, well, actually, no, Dawkins is actually a little bit more of a dog than Cara Francis. So, I mean, how, how would you want to play that? You want to... I like if we do four, man. It puts us at a plus 114, and you have a buyout on two of the spots that you probably could use it in. Plus um, 114, wow. I know, for a four-person parlay, it's fucking juiced. But... I'm telling you, I really like Grosso in that spot. Okay, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll at least so have it. You want to swap one out? We can swap out Ascar for uh, Grosso. Gives you a plus 139. Joanna, at the end of the day, that fight's going to decision anyways. So you can get a juicy line on uh, Joanna by you know, decision. We'll, we'll at least have the, the, the starts of the conversation. Usually we go over it a couple of times, put it in the chat, and get an idea as to where we want to go with it. So uh, we at least have uh, a grouping there. Yeah. Let's see. But it is a little bit later in the week. Maybe we should lock something in. Um, so we'll go Kizrev, Manon Firo. Uh, yeah, I guess we could go four. You gotta at least have some plus money on it. Yeah, but I don't want to do it at the risk of just picking. But I, I'm really, I'm pretty solid on Grasso because I think even if go, you know, it's going to go to decision. There's going to be boxing judges um, in the crowd, and or in the in the arena. So, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go Grasso. I'm, I'm going to take that that take on it. So we'll add her in. And we'll see how we plus or minus, and and maybe maybe we figure out maybe do two parlays with uh, Askarov ending one of them and and Blades ending the other one. Or we'll figure that out. I like it. Okay. Um, any hot takes? I think I like the Grosso by decision. I think that I, I know that unless you go split, um, it's probably not worth that much. But I think uh, well, it's probably going to be juiced up. I wouldn't imagine Kizrayev inside the distance is going to be worth anything. Um, it might be how you want to just bet him. Um, the last thing I would want, though, I mean, it is when he was earlier in the fight, you know, if he was the first in the fight of the night, you could actually put him in the parlay as uh, inside the distance and then rebuild if you had to. Um, but now that he's been bumped up a little bit, is would he be the first one in the parlay? No, Manon Firo would. Yeah, but I think Firo yeah, you don't want to rebuild really after easily. that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even hedge the Firo fight knock on wood that. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. After, after going through that, I think she's going to get punched in the face if she goes for a submission. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, so, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, well, we at least have a good idea. And then, and, so any other props that you can think of? We got Magni probably by decision. Um, uh, the only thing I see. really like is, and I know we're putting probably Asgard in our, uh, in our thing here, is if you're going to bet Kaikar France, you bet the first round KO at plus 1,600. I think that's, I think that's really the only round he's going to be live in, because at that point you're going to realize quick if Askar can take him down, and I feel like if Askar starts getting punched in the face by him, he's not going to last around anyways. Yeah, I think Kai's goal is going to be to go out there and make sure that he touches him early. Um, yeah, so plus so it's not a bad look. Yeah, gonna any uh, any spring any round three sprinkles that you can see out there? Probably not. Eh? No, no Paul Craig. No. There's nothing. Honestly, this card is very straightforward to me. But there's not a lot of – I don't see a lot of upsets. Like, I don't see a lot of comeback from behind victories. I see this card being one-way traffic in most of these fights. 
All right. As always, I'm Callum McGregor. He's Nick Eagli. We, uh, you know, love watching tape, trying to find some spots. Um, and, you know, we, we, I think we potentially found a couple spots for you this week. I'm actually feeling pretty confident in that parlay um, with Grosso actually in the mix. So, but regardless, hopefully you're enjoying the parlays. We didn't hit last week, just fell short. And uh, if you're hating and you don't like it. What we've got here is failure to communicate.